Well, if you haven't yet had the opportunity, I encourage you to uh, watch that documentary on the prosperity gospel and how it's impacted America. And I start with that clip today for a reason. Uh, it really centers on blessing. That clip and so much of the movie really talks about and, and defines and centers on the idea of blessing. And it is a, a tremendous idea. It's a tremendous idea in the scriptures. It's a pervasive idea in Christian culture, but it's often taken out of context. And so if you want to see a little bit more, I encourage you to watch that documentary. It's, it's really helpful as it talks through, in some sense, what blessing means. But today we actually have a look at, uh, we have a chance to look at it ourselves in Psalm 67. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. It's where we'll be for the whole morning. It's only seven verses, but there is a lot to talk about. And I'm excited to do it with you. Psalm 67, talking about blessing. Before we read it, I just want to tell you that I, I actually do have some experience when it comes to the prosperity gospel myself, and that is um, somewhat related to a, uh, a college that I went to, but also just other people I've known. And to define it for you real quick, you saw some of it on the screen, but pros the prosperity gospel essentially believes that God exists to make you healthy, wealthy, and happy. And if that's not happening in your life, it's due to some problem with you, some problem of your faith. Uh, you don't have enough faith, and that is why you are not healthy, wealthy, and happy. Uh, that's just kind of an overview of it. And that's one way to take blessing as it comes across in the Scriptures. But there's other ways to take it, and we're going to do that this morning. So go ahead and turn to Psalm 67 with me, and I'll read it for us. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So this morning, as we continue in our psalm series, we turn to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. And as it talks about blessing, we'll actually just answer three questions related to a main point. And I'll go ahead and give you the, the gist of the passage in the main point. And the main point is this, that God blesses his people to be a blessing. That's, that's really it. That's what this passage is talking about, that God blesses his people to be a blessing. And that may sound familiar to you. It comes from Genesis 12, when God comes to bless Abraham. And it's not flashy, but it is thoroughly biblical. So that's the main point. And in order to understand that, we're just going to ask three questions. Might be a little bit different for you this morning, but here's what we'll do. Number one, how does God bless us? And number two, why does God bless us? And number three, when does God bless us? How does God bless us? Why does God bless us? And when does God bless us? That's what we're covering today. 
So at the outset of the psalm, what we see is it's a prayer. The psalmist comes as praying to God, not only for himself, but for his whole community. This is a, a Israelite community that comes to God and asks him to do something. And so we see in verse 1, says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Sometimes it's helpful when you're reading the Bible to think about the opposite of what's being said. And it certainly is here. You could ask, what is this passage not saying about blessing? Well, really clearly what it's not saying is that God would get us to shine our face on ourselves. It's kind of a narcissistic reading, and that's certainly not what's happening here. As the psalm opens, the psalmist says, what I need, God, is for you to come to me and to be gracious to me and bless me and shine your face upon me. And this is really, this is really the opposite of the idea of cursing in the Bible. Just as a, as a quick reference for you, cursing, when it happens in the Bible, when God does it, is a removal of himself. It's a separation of himself and his benefits, the good things about him. And so what we see with the psalmist as he begins is to say, what I need more than anything else is for you to be present, for you to be in my life, for you to shine your face upon me. And in Hebrew, the way that this works is uh, in poetry is to really sharpen the idea. So it's not three separate ideas as it begins. It's really one idea. It's not God be gracious to me as a prayer. And second, God bless me. And third, God make your face shine upon me. No, what the psalmist is doing is he's using successive ideas to say, this is how much I need you. I am blessed when your face shines on me. I see your graciousness when your face shines on me. So what is that talking about? Well, it's actually a, uh, a reference and a quote from Numbers 6. And you don't have this on the screen, but it is a prayer that God told Moses to tell Aaron to tell the people of Israel. Okay, so you have a little bit of uh, transmission here going on, but God comes to speak with Moses on the mountain. He says, I want you to tell Aaron, the priest, and his sons, the priests of my nation, to go and to tell them about who I am. And here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. In number six, he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You see, what God tells Moses to tell Aaron, to tell the Israelites, his people, is that the best thing that you could ever wish for in life is that God would be with you. That's it. And there's all sorts of episodes in the Old Testament where this doesn't happen. And immediately after this episode, they go to go into the promised land, and God says, you disobeyed me, I'm not going with you. And what happens? All the people just crumble. They fall apart. And they say, we can't go. Why? Because you're not going with us. If you don't go with us, there's no point. And so the blessing that's involved here is a blessing that only happens when God is present. He is the blessing. He is the blessing. There's another thing that we need to pull out at this point, and that is that blessing does not necessarily mean bad things don't happen to you. 
Blessing does not necessarily mean that bad things don't happen to you. And just as a quick reference, I'll just give you one verse for this. Psalm 84. The psalmist who wants to stay at God's house all the time, to be close to Him, to be near Him, like Psalm 67 is saying. He says in verse 5, Blessed, same word, same concept. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, tears, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. What the Bible tells us is that blessing does not mean everything will go well in your life. Rather, it means that when the difficulty happens, if you are blessed, God is with you in it. That's what the psalmist is saying, isn't he? That as they go through the valley of tears, they make it a place of springs. It's transformed because of the presence of God. Even the blessed experience trial. The difference is that God is with them in the midst of it. And at the end here, the first verse, it says, Selah. And if you ever run across that and think that it's just some other language or word put in the Bible, it's not. It's intentional. It has purpose. Selah just means pause. So it's put in here in poetry to cause the reader to read what's been written and then say, I'm going to think about that for a second. And so for us, as we hear this, as we read this, we're supposed to pause after hearing that God is our blessing. You pause and you think about it. You reflect on it. And as we do that, this question, I think, emerges. Would you be content with all the good things of the world without God. I think that's an implication involved here that as we pause and think about this, the psalmist, before he does anything else, before he communicates anything else, he says, you have to get this straight. If you do not get this straight, nothing I say will make sense. Your greatest good is God. Your greatest good is God. So how does God bless us? God blesses us mainly with himself, not stuff. He is the greatest prize. This is the beginning and the end of all praiseworthy motivation. Enjoying God. If we miss this, then we, we miss the rest of the passage. It makes no sense to us. We need to be like David in the Psalms, who in Psalm 27 says that one thing I ask of the Lord and that is what I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. That is what I want to do above all else. And so that's where the psalmist begins. So we see that God blesses us mainly with Himself. So that's how God blesses us. But there's also, here in the psalm, an answer to why God blesses us. So let's move on there. Reading Psalm 2 through 5, it says this, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. One of the most important parts about this psalm is actually the beginning of verse 2. It's not hard to see even in English here, but it, what, what it does is begin with a purpose clause. And we all know this, the purpose clause, therefore, so that, then, it, it communicates the motive of what's being asked for. So what's being asked for is blessing from God, that He is the fountainhead of blessing, 
All blessing comes from him. All good things in life come from him. And now the psalmist says, you want to know why I'm asking that? You want to know why I'm asking to be blessed? Verse 2, that your way may be known. This is how, this is what the, the psalmist not only just believes but feels. The psalmist knows that his greatest good comes from God and he wants it. Why? So that he can give it to other people. This actually reflects to us Israel's job description in the Old Testament. And just as a, a survey for you, Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, had one job, and that was to mimic God to the world, to show what God is like to the world. They're supposed to do this in every area of life, every area of their society, every area of justice and injustice. When people went to Israel in the ancient Near East, and they saw that how they dealt with, with social justice issues, they saw how God dealt with social justice issues. When they saw how the poor and the marginalized were taken care of in their society, they were seeing how God desires to take care of the poor. When they were seeing other nations coming to Israel, seeing how God is at the center of all of life for them, they were seeing how God is supposed to be at the center of life for everybody. Largely, in the Old Testament, there is a come and see invitation from Israel to say, this is what it's like. Israel in the Old Testament is like the windows of a house that when you go to, you can look in and see what actually is happening, the way things should be, the way that things are. And this is actually just reflective of how God comes to Abraham, isn't it? In Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham out of all the peoples of the earth and he says, I will make you a great nation and I will, same language, bless you. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. See, Israel in the Old Testament, it may help you just Genesis all the way through the Old Testament to read it and say, what is the point here? The point is to say, this people is supposed to go to the world and say, here is what God is like. Here's what God is like. And so they say, come and see. And the same for Abraham. I will bless you. Why? So you'll be a blessing. And there's more to consider here, but I want to stop in verse 2 and point out a few things for you. As I was reading this, I pulled out three easy questions, three easy kind of diagnostic questions to, to really measure your motive or my motive for asking blessing. And this should be on the screen for you. Number one, you can write these down if you want. Kind of think about them through the week. Do you seek blessing to give it away? That's the first thing. When you're asking God about all the needs in your life, and you initially, I think everybody comes to God in prayer saying, God, help me with this. Give me this. Help me here. Is your, is your motive to give it away, whatever you get? Second, do you seek blessing that is non-material? This is what... The psalmist does, and it's primarily through the Bible, that when people are asking for things from God, it's not necessarily stuff. It's not necessarily stuff. It is non-material. So when you pray, do your prayers involve non-material things, spiritual blessings, things that only God can do? Number three, do you seek blessing to help others know God? These are three great ways to just run through your own quest for blessing to say, is this my heart? 
And after looking at it and looking at my own life this past week, I can tell you a boat does not qualify here. Okay? Not that I want a boat. I've got plenty to do right now. I don't need boats. But those sort of things that we naturally think of, man, it would be really nice if I had a, a new car or a bigger house or newer clothes, gadgets. You can spend thousands of dollars on gadgets. This is not what the psalmist does. He does not come and say, stuff. The first thing he does is say, will you bless me so that I can bless other people and not with things. The way that God is known on the earth, this is really important for us. The way that God is known on the earth is not by our wealth, our prosperity, or our happiness. God is known on the earth by his saving power in the gospel that goes to all nations. So when you pray for things, I'm talking to myself here, but when you pray for things, is your motivation so I can have things or is it so that I can give them away? That's how God is known. When people see that you give things away that you otherwise could have used for your own benefit, they say, why would someone do that? Why would someone give thousands of dollars? Why would they gift me a car? It shows that we don't value the things of the world. So when, how does God bless us? God blesses us with himself. Why does God bless us? We kind of break this into two parts here. The first thing that we see is that God blesses us. God blesses us to bless the nations. That's what the psalmist is saying. He wants blessings so he can bless other people. But there's a second part here that emerges. And it is not just to bless the nations, but for praise. God blesses us for his praise. And I'll show you this really quickly. We have a little bit of time to do it. And it might help you in your own reading of the Old Testament in particular. It's called the chiasm. The way that things are often structured in the Old Testament and certainly in the the Psalms is by use of a chiasm. That's to say it's an order of structure to say, here's how I'm going to give you the main point in their language. And so we see this in this psalm. In verse 1, may God be gracious to us. In verse 7, God shall bless us. And it moves forward to give you a better idea of what that means, that your way may be known on the earth, and the earth has yielded its increase. And then still further, a refrain in the psalm to say, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you, O God. It says it two times, and that at the center of the psalm, what it's really about is praise. It says what? Let the nations be glad. This is what God is communicating to us this morning in this psalm. That yes, very much God blesses us to bless the nations, but the most important part, the end to which all things are going is praise. Or you could say it's worship. That's why you exist. John Piper has written a book on this passage largely, and he points out this reality from it, that missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions exists because worship doesn't. There is praise that is supposed to come to God from all peoples of the earth, and it's not. And because it's not happening, there is a mission to go forward and tell people about who He is. In Israel, they say, come and see. For us, it's a bit different. 
This is something that we have to learn, we have to own, we have to love. That God blesses us for his praise. It's not about us, it's about him. When I was in East Asia as a missionary, once I went to a, a village outside of the city I was in, and I went with my whole crew, had a whole team of people, about 10 people I went with. And we went way outside the city because it was illegal to share the gospel where we were at. And so we go outside to this little village, and in this little village, a small apartment. And in this small apartment are about 10 national believers. And they're all our age or younger than us. They're college students. And we didn't really know why we were there. It was a little bit cloak and dagger. They said, just come on and... and and meet with these people and said, okay, great, we'll meet with them and talk with them. And as we're there, they start to tell us, we know why you're here. We know that you're missionaries and you're telling us the gospel and we've believed from other people that have come. And now we want to go. We want to go and tell other people. And as they began to tell us about how Jesus had changed their life and how they have seen, like the psalmist saw, that he is the center of all things, that he is the blessing. They have to go tell other people about him at the expense of everything that they have. They said, we found out that Americans are not welcome in the Middle East. No surprise. And not just the Middle East, but in Central Asia. And they said, we know what you're doing here, and we want to do the same thing. And we have found out that all of our neighbors over in Central Asia, they don't like you. And because they don't like you, they will not have you. And because they don't have you, you will not share the gospel with them. But they like us. We're a different nationality. They want us in our colleges. They want us in their, in their buildings, in their work programs. They want us, and we have the gospel now. So we want to go. But there's a problem. We don't have the money to get there. And so they said, we, we're going to stop our studies mid-year, and we're going to go over to the Middle East and to Central Asia. Will you help us? Will you send us? And of course, they don't know hardly any other believers in their own country. They're new believers. And we said, yes, absolutely. And I can tell you, the first thing that ran through my mind, shamefully, was, if I do that, I'm not going to get to buy my souvenirs. Shameful. And so we, we gave them everything we had, and they ended up going to the Middle East and to Central Asia to work and become a part of the culture and share the gospel in a hostile environment where no Americans are welcome. That is a picture of what this looks like. When you see people that get this truth. They say, I exist. I exist to spread this good news. And so let me put parts one and parts two together here. Why does God bless us? God blesses us for his praise among the nations. In Magnolia, Texas, and in Iraq, everywhere, God blesses us, his people, so that we would be a blessing, that we would share his praise, send people to praise him from among all the nations. That's point two. Last, we can see in this passage not only how God blesses us and why he does it, but when 
he doesn't. And that's in verses 6 to 7. It says that the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So here in this psalm, if you're anything like me, you've, you've, you've seen, you've tasted in a sense God's own desire to give himself, that he's the greatest good of all things. Not only that, but he wants all peoples to know that. And then it starts talking about agriculture. The earth has yielded its increase. We have crops. Praise God. And if you're like me, you'd have to say, well, praise God. That's fantastic. Good for you guys. What does this mean? It means a couple things. Number one, that God does bless us in this world. The psalmist is not saying that you can't have good things in life. If you follow the line of thought that I just put forward, some people say this means that you have to live in a hut, that you have to drive the cheapest car possible, the one that's making noises everywhere it goes. That's not necessarily the case. There are good things to be had and enjoyed in life. And so the psalmist says, yes, the earth has yielded its increase to us. Like, we have food. We have good things. This is good. But more importantly than that, more importantly, by talking about the earth yielding its increase and God blessing them, the psalmist is connecting connecting with what material things God has given them to the ultimate purpose for all things. And it really draws up the idea of cursing. You see, as the psalmist continues here at the end, he says that God shall bless us, God shall bless us. Blessing is very much the opposite of cursing. And when he talks about the earth and how, the, how in the nation now the earth is actually giving them things easily, it's yielding increase to them. What he's connecting with is Genesis 3 and that the earth was cursed under Adam and Eve. They sin, they break away from God, they say, you are not the center, and the result is a cursed earth. That the very ground is difficult to deal with. It won't cooperate easily. Or relationships are cursed. And here the psalmist says that there is, there is a reversal going on. The curse is being undone. That yes, thorns and thistles are what the earth produces, but here in God's people, in His nation, it's not so. It's producing easily, yielding increase. And so we see here that in the psalmist's language that there is a connection to God's not only blessing, but cursing. He says, that's not happening here. What's happening is the curse is being undone. But when does this happen? When does it happen? As the psalmist talks about it at the end, two times he says, God shall bless us. That's future tense. That's actually a little confusing because he says that God has done it, like he has blessed us. We have crops, we have produce, we're provided for, we're sustained. God has done it. Then why does he say he shall bless us? Is because the blessing he's talking about is not mainly material. Good things are good, that's fine. But he's looking forward to a day when something more significant will happen. That God's blessing will actually go to the ends of all the earth. Where all nations will know and love God like he should be known and loved and praised. And so God blesses us in this world, yes, 
But more than that, he shall bless us. So when's the shall? Did it come? Has it come? Yes, it has come. God blesses us mainly in Christ. God's blessings come to us mainly in Christ. Years ago, when Jesus was in his earthly ministry, he took a side track, a detour, actually a necessary one. He said, I have to go here. God wants me to go here. And so he left the nation and he goes to Samaria. And then he sits down in the middle of the day in the blazing sun. And he sits with a woman at a well who is an outcast, certainly from Israel, because of her nationality, but more importantly, also somebody who's taboo in her own society. She's an outcast. Nobody wants to even spend time with her. That's why she's there at the middle of the day. And what does Jesus say to her? In John 4, he says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Sounds like the Old Testament, doesn't it? Come and see. But the hour is coming and is now here when true, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman responds, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. And when He comes, He will make known to us all things. And Jesus told her something. What did he say? I who speak to you am he. What Jesus is doing in his life is saying that Psalm 67 is coming to life in my very presence. As Jesus sits with this woman at the side of a well, he tells her, you want to know why you're here? Praise, worship. And she says, we know that one day someone will come shall bless. We know the psalmist, shall bless. God shall bless us. Jesus says, not shall, is. God is blessing you in me. And this is actually very similar to what Paul, the apostle Paul would bring up in Galatians when he says that Jesus became a curse for us in Galatians 3, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing, same word, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You see, all the nations of the earth are blessed in Jesus it's because he took the curse of God. He rightly pictured what God was like in the world. He hung on the tree and he was cut off from blessing. This is the amazing thing about the gospel. That when God comes and says, I will bless all the nations. Jesus comes and says, I will be cut off for the nations. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus was hung on a tree so that we wouldn't have to be. Jesus was cut off, cut off from the fount of all blessing that the psalmist enjoys and loves and speaks about here in Psalm 67. He says that center of life, the fountainhead of blessing, Jesus said, I'll be cut off from it so other people would come into it. And this is the gospel that we have 
that even though we don't deserve it, God comes to us and gives us life in his son. So when does God bless us? He blesses us in Christ. And maybe you haven't thought about that this morning. Maybe you have, but if you haven't, have you thought about it that way? That have you had God's blessing in Christ? Have you come to know and love God through Jesus? This is the only way it happens. There is a tremendous change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we see that there is very much a come and see mentality. Come and see what God is like. In the New Testament, something changes, seriously. In the New Testament, no longer is it just come and see. There's still that. But what happens? Jesus dies, rises, ascends to heaven, sends out his disciples. And in Acts 2, which we studied so long ago, they go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And the purpose of that is not come and see. There's a tremendous change in the New Testament where we, we have the come and see, God dwelling with man. But now we see, not come and see, but go and tell. Go and tell. And this is the reality that if you're a Christian, if you're a believer here this morning, this is where you live. You live in a come and see. God is doing things in your own life. He is transforming you. He is changing you. But at the same time, it is very much a go and tell. That this message that the psalmist starts to give, this blessing of God, is not just for yourself. It's for other people. And so we have to go and we have to tell. And so we have to wonder, when's the last time that you shared the gospel with somebody? When's the last time that you attempted to share the gospel with somebody? Do you have anybody in mind that you even think about doing that with? You should, because as the Spirit moves you as a believer, this is your reality. Not only come and see, but go and tell. God blesses us in Christ. It is in His life, in His death and resurrection that we find true blessing. Life is found in Him and nowhere else. And so this morning, as we leave from here and think about this, we can answer these questions. Why or how does God bless us? He blesses us mainly with himself. Why does God bless us? For his praise among the nations. When does God bless us? He has blessed us in his son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Psalm 67. We thank you for your desire to permeate our lives with the good news of your saving grace to all peoples to bring them to yourself. Father, I ask that in my heart and in our hearts that you would make this reality come true, that we would be as passionate as you are about drawing people to yourself, that we would be as passionate as your son was and is about drawing people to himself with the Samaritan woman. God, would you cause our root motivation in our life to be worship, where we consider and reevaluate what are the things I'm asking for? What are the things that I have? Why do I have them? God, would you align our hearts with your mission for your glory? And we ask this in your name. Amen.